four foot roll on deodorant. <laughs> yeah, I was I was good with this. It's so funny. I love this like absurdist deadpan comedy where they're just like genuinely happy to have this product. Great parody. Big hit. Loved it. S in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt, Dee, and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theater. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theater for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith, Dee, and Matt. Episode 10 of NBC's Saturday Night, later known as Saturday Night Live, starring Buck Henry, originally aired on January 17th, 1976. Welcome to S and Hell. It's uh, episode 10 for us as well. Uh, I'm Keith, and with me again are Dee and Matt. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. We have some, some viewer slash listener mail. Um, and Get also, out of here. We no, don't. it's true. Yeah. So we do have a question. Uh, one was actually posted in the comments of one of our YouTube videos, but also I've heard this from different friends of ours. A couple people over at Fave Canpod asked the same question. And basically, these are people that did the math and said, how long do you guys plan to do this? There are 900 episodes, and if you do, you know, one a week, it's going to take like 20 years. Um, I have an answer, but I, I don't think we've actually formally discussed this. So uh, what are you guys thinking? I did do the math and I dropped it to you one time. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, didn't, I didn't do any math, but the, the answer is to the grave, my friend. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the official, official answer I have been giving people is definitely season one, almost definitely the first five, but the goal is to do the whole thing. Yeah. And we have children that can assume the reins if necessary you know it's sometimes there might be a situation where we can sit down and we can do there's it, it gets bad let's be honest sometimes maybe you do two maybe we do two s and l's and one s and hell you don't you don't yeah you never know how it's gonna shake out absolutely and i mean we're still doing a lot of like how are they doing? How are they evolving? How are they building? I mean, when we get to like 1987 or even 1984, it's not going to be so much of like, how was the show progressing the way it is? It's just going to be straight up. This was good. This sucked. Agree. A lot of history to cover. But you know what? Every era is going to have their own history, too. So I wouldn't be, you know what, to be honest, I guess now that I think of it, I wouldn't be surprised if it never changes. But I mean, my my short answer is to the grave. Till awesome. I perish. And I mean, D, you're, you know, when we're done, you'll be pretty much my age, I think. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but we'll see how it goes. You know what I saw on YouTube? I saw some guy on YouTube and uh, his, the video was called, I watched one episode of SNL from every season. And here's what I thought. I was like, you rookie, rookie numbers. Yeah, there's also uh, there's also someone who did uh, uh, one SNL episode a day, which I thought was a great idea. I don't think we could ever do it that way. But yeah, he's, I think he's got a blog up. Um, and if I can find the, the link, I'll, I'll definitely share it. Oh, that's a good way to do one a day, having a blog. That's really smart. For sure. The edit alone would, would drive me bonkers. Okay, uh, so uh, Buck Henry. Do you guys want to know a little bit about Buck Henry? Yeah, you bet, of course. Because I don't know anything. Uh, so, oh, Buck Henry. Uh, Buck Henry was the co-creator of Get Smart with Mel Brooks, the uh, famous comedy spy show from the 60s. He also co-wrote the screenplay to The Graduate, where he got a uh, 
uh, an Oscar, and he wrote the screenplay for Catch-22, along with a lot of other things. He co-directed uh, Warren Beatty's Heaven Can Wait, which was a remake of an old Don Amici movie. To people my age, he's probably best recognized for some of his acting. He played Liz Lemon's dad on 30 Rock. Hot in Cleveland, he had a, a four or five episode run, I think. And um, he was also on uh, Will and Grace. Um, I don't remember. I'd, I'd never watched, so I don't know exactly who he was. Probably another um, dad. What's that? Yeah, probably so, yeah. He was a, an improv comic, and he had the greatest TV debut I think I've ever heard of, as we're all appreciating Andy Kaufman. This is pretty fun. He appeared on a bunch of talk shows in the 60s, I believe, as a character named G. Clifford Prout. Now, I say character, but he presented himself as an actual person, an actual activist, who was the president for the Society for Indecency to Naked Animals. And he was on uh, television shows saying that basically uh, animals walking around on the streets naked should actually be wearing clothes. And his uh, slogan was, a nude horse is a rude horse. And he made the rounds, and was this was done completely deadpan and completely seriously, and he was getting uh, letters of support and stuff like that. To me, it was just beautiful performance art. That's amazing. I know, it's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, that's one of the best things I've ever heard, to be honest. <laughs> the only thing I know about this guy is that he, he kind of seems like an old fogey, uh, even here. He, he like he's, is, this a, is it just me that gets Waylon Smithers vibes from this guy? Did anybody else feel like this guy was a Waylon Smithers? Yeah, aesthetically, like he's like any man. He could blend into any office crowd, you know what I mean? You know, it's, it could almost be a serial killer vibe. And let that, uh, you know, let my let it be known that my initial comments may not reflect how I feel about him going forward or the entire episode by any means. For sure, yeah, yeah. Cool, so let's jump into the monologue. Uh, Buck Henry uh, addresses why he was asked to host. Um, He's not an actor, he's not a comic, he's done a couple of movies, I think he says. He admits that he probably wasn't the first choice. Um, As he is giving a very nice, uh, humble speech, the Chiron confirms that uh, there were many other people asked before him, most of whom are B B to Z list celebrities. And then the Chiron sort of keeps coming up and and contradicting and or sort of taking what Henry is saying to the next level. I laughed through this whole thing. I watched this episode three times recently, and I laughed through the whole thing all three times. I laughed, especially when all the names are rolling up and it's like every single Newman that you could think of <laughs> that really That's right, got yeah. me. Yeah, Randy and not even Paul. Like Paul would have been a big too, no. too big of a star. <laughs> I guess I thought it was okay. I, I didn't uh, I didn't get a good laugh out of it because I don't really know who this guy is. I don't know. I, I thought I thought it was a little one note, but it didn't overstay its welcome. It's kind of a cliche monologue. You know, it's funny you say that because I wondered if it was cliche then or if this was breaking new ground with this Chiron fun stuff. You know I what was I mean? thinking that too. That's fair. Because it is everywhere now, but I was kind of wondering, like, is this one of the first times it was done? Definitely the first time it was done on Saturday Night Live. But so they're already making the audience Chiron jokes, right? So like, mm. it's and so you know, I I mean, I don't think I don't think they thought it was super fresh. I, I just think that made it funnier. It's interesting, like the way we're looking at it from you know 50 years later so many tropes originated there and it's really hard i I know like i dive into the research and it's really hard to confirm was that the first place this was done in in certain times so i just try to think of it like is that the first time i have seen it like if i think through my memory like chronologically of things Mm -hmm. i have watched is that the first time i have seen it and so far snl for me a lot of times like it would have been the answer would have been yes 
Samurai Delicatessen. And uh, this one was written by uh, Alan Zweibel, taking over the franchise from Tom Schiller, who wrote the initial one. But it's based on a uh, John Belushi character. And uh, this one was uh, at the insistence, not the insistence, but at the suggestion of uh, Buck Henry. He liked the character and wanted to do a scene with it. And there'll be more on that shortly. Not much to say about the sketch. Uh, Henry goes to a deli that's being run by Belushi's Samurai Futaba. More of the same gibberish, more of the same hitting things with swords. When the character pops out, the audience gives it a huge ovation, which was kind of disappointing. Um, again, I, everything I said about the first Samurai Futaba, um, I, I I say again, I, I don't like this sketch. On top of the overt racism, I just don't find this funny. I never did. I still didn't really get it, but out of context, like if I were to just look at the parts where he is doing the physical comedy of just the ridiculousness of trying to chop like a sandwich or a salami with an entire sword. That's what got me. But it's the racism uh, undertones. They're not even undertones. They're just there like in the foreground. But anyway, um, yeah, it makes it hard for me to enjoy the physical comedy. Like you still could have done that without making it about, I don't know, race. Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean. I, I think because I laughed sometimes and I was pretty hard on the first one, just uh, just like y'all. Uh, but this time, you know, when he's using that sword and when he's whipping out the smaller knife to commit seppuku and with the tomato, I, you know, I'm laughing. And I, uh, was, I, I know I was pretty hard lying about that last one. But uh, shit, I mean, I couldn't deny that the physical humor was there. And I, I liked our host as this almost... Uh, strangely understanding passive bystander just watching it (laughs) (laughs) he was he was really killing it for me in this too so yeah i mean it's terrible but uh there there was kind of stuff i liked about it from a comedic standpoint absolutely i'm starting to think that maybe it is um like this unknowing not unknown yeah unknowing white man who is really, really involved in this culture for some reason, mm-hmm. and he thinks he belongs in it for some reason, and this is how it comes out. And well, I'm yeah, trying so to view it from that perspective, because I don't want to just assume that they mm-hmm. wrote it in a racist way, intentionally. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that was the point someone made online, because the first sketch, I don't know if you remember offhand, but his last line is in perfectly clear English, where he's like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do it, or something like that. Um, so somebody did say it's more one of these like Japanese culture fanboys type thing, but uh, I don't know. Uh, other than him slicing the tomato in midair, which I thought was pretty freaking <laughs> cool, I don't particularly enjoy this one too much. I agree. This is often suggested, or stated as being the first recurring character to appear on SNL because they had never considered doing recurring characters. Now, this seems to be the written history, but I mean, we've seen Sherry, we've seen Emily Latella, we've seen the bees, and then like things like Garrett doing the the hard of hearing stuff. I, I don't know why this gets the credit as being the first recurring character, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. It just shouldn't. It doesn't make any <laughs> sense. <laughs> it just shouldn't. Let's go into presidential foreplay. Jane Curtin, everybody's favorite cable access TV host, show host, I think, on these shows, interviews Linda Louise, who was a woman who was said to have had an affair with the uh, president. Uh, Curtin understands it to be Kennedy, but it's actually Nixon. And I know I only knew it was Nixon from a few references and then confirming it online. I thought this was uh, well portrayed in a way, but terribly poorly written. I didn't like this so much. Uh, I thought Gilda was good in her performance but uh, i didn't like it 
How about you guys? I didn't know which president they were referring to, and I had absolutely no idea who Gilda was supposed to be, but that just might be my age. Gilda looked so good in this performance. Physically, I thought she was funny, but because I didn't understand who anyone was supposed to be, it kind of went over my head. I agree. I mean, I, I knew who most of these people were supposed to be, but it's still uh, it still kind of sailed over. It was too topical, just far too topical, uh, even if I think you know the players. But there was no denying that Gilda Radner, what an actress. Oh, good gosh. Oh my God, she looks so mm-hmm. good. And I, I don't think she was playing any one. I think she was kind of a composite of a whole bunch of different women that came forward saying they'd slept with Kennedy. That's what I thought. Yeah, that, or that's what I was gathering. I didn't take her as a, a, a literal person. But yeah, she killed it. And it was a great showcase for her. I didn't really think the jokes were there. The overall humor to me was that this sort of sex pot lady had been hooking up with Nixon for years, which is kind of like, like Nixon is like the anti-Kennedy for that, you know, drink your Ovaltine and go to sleep by seven o'clock at night type thing. So it was kind of funny to me in that sense, but I don't think they pulled that off. I don't think. So then we have a Chiron saying, uh, this person is Sergeant Shriver's brother-in-law on his sister's side. And Sergeant Shriver was uh, married to uh, one of the Kennedy sisters. And I think he had run, he had been somebody's nomination for vice president at one point. Um, so next up, uh, oh, here we go, politics. And uh, this sketch takes about half the episode, it felt like. It's uh, called uh, Operation Stumblebum or the Oval Office. Chevy Chase plays Gerald Ford. Buck Henry plays his press secretary, Ron Nesson. And Nesson just seems to be like a, uh, a sort of patient buffer between Ford and reality. And he's come up with a plan to make Ford not look like an idiot. So at a press conference when Ford drops things and makes stupid mistakes, uh, Nesson and some Secret Service people do it too to make it look more normal. I just found this too long there were some jokes in there but the length sort of watered that down and it was just more dumb clumsy ford stuff yeah it was so long uh the come in and sit down ron every time he would say that that would get a little chuckle out of me but that's about as far as it went i really like chevy doing his clumsy idiot board he's just magnetic he i, w- I want to look at him i think he's funny i love him doing his shtick he's a great physical comedic presence and he's just a pleasure to watch he's the star of the show so it's fun to watch him and i really liked the bit in the office but then it just kept going i, I definitely liked it more than you guys i know it was too long but i kept laughing the voice of the reporter was lauren michaels d did you notice the logos on the microphones no i didn't what did they say it was those bad NBC logo, logos from the previous episode. Oh, remember? my God. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, Bill Withers. Uh, Bill Withers was a factory worker turned musical superstar. And at a factory, this was the coolest thing. He made toilet seats for airplanes. That is really cool. That's such a specific job. I love that so much. <laughs> he hit it big in his mid-30s. On this episode, he sings uh, Ain't No Sunshine, which had been number three on the Billboard charts. But it was about four years ago, like four years prior. Some of his other hits, of course, before this and after were Lean On Me, Just the Two of Us, and Lovely Day. Bill Withers, great at what he does. I'm not really into this sort of stuff 
at all. Um, I actually lean on me. I, I could go the rest of my life without ever, ever hearing that again. But I really like his voice. Uh, he's a great songwriter. Yeah, uh, it, this just wasn't for me, but I can't say it was bad. Baby, I'd literally vibe to this any day. Like, he's literally just chilling as he's singing this. It looks so effortless. He was looking so good. This performance, I loved it. I am. Po- I popped off. Hey, no surprises here uh, that I am not the demo for this talented man talented performer not the target market am i for this material not going to the concerts or buying the record for me it was absolutely like a a moment of i really appreciate what this guy does but it's not my not my bag how i feel about harvey's hamburgers (laughs) (laughs) Uh, next up is the evelyn woodski school of speed reading Lorraine Newman, as uh, Evelyn Woodski, advertises her speed reading course where she struggles to read the words. This was not funny. This was quick. It was dumb. Womp womp. Look, just a just a quick quick joke. Yeah, yeah. I feel like they needed thirty seconds of something. Subtle ableism. So we have another Chiron. This person has met Martin Milner. Um, we've seen this one before. Are you lying? I had no idea they reused this one. I didn't even notice. <laughs> I was watching, I was like, okay, they reused this one. It's not funny yet, but you know, if it keeps popping up, I might wind up laughing at it. Yeah, okay, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Weekend update. Chevy Chase, he loves us very deeply. Um, Again, broad stroke of this one. There's a great uh, joke I really laughed at that it's white mice that cause cancer. Francisco Franco is still dead. Tony Orlando and Freddie Prinz are Siamese twins, which I thought was funny. They were actually really good buddies. Another bit with Angola where they call Garrett Morris as the night janitor in Angola. And everyone's asleep, so there's no fighting. Bit about the killer dope where squirrels play with their nuts. Was there anything that jumped out in this uh, first bit for you guys? Yeah, you know what? I actually liked a lot of it. I think Chevy is uh, really on here. He's really comfortable at this point. A Szechuan-flavored burial. (laughs) That's that's some good stuff. The Angola stuff is really good. I really think that they are mastering Weekend Update now. You know, I've already said it. I I am fucking all up for Chevy Chase this episode. Uh, I think he nailed this segment. I think he's nailing these deliveries. I think he's a bright and shining star. This was my favorite phone line opening and weekend update. I love it when you keep your eyes open. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. I, you know, I've paid so little attention to the phone lines that I'm kind of embarrassed that, you know, this was one of the first few I noticed. I don't give them enough credit. I don't think I've mentioned them before. I might have once, uh, but they're my favorite part, I think. They're pretty good. They're very subtle, and they really just kind of slip them in there. And uh, th- this this one is really a home run, which I think is why you notice it, because usually they're just like, <laughs> that's good. It's really, it's subtle, but it's good. It keeps you laughing, and I think that's important. Perfection, they say, is a lot of little things done well, and that's just a little thing done well. Uh, now, the address Chevy gives to send the uh, killer dope to for him to test, it's different than the other address the first address was. And I did look it up on Google Map, and it doesn't seem to exist. At least in 2020, it doesn't exist. It's so much a sign of the times. Uh, did you notice the bit where they talked about the Super Bowl having really low ratings yes hard to imagine these days eh i can't imagine it even the grocery stores depend on the super bowl 
I mean, but like like network TV is also dying. So aren't like ratings actually? But you know what? I say that. But live sports are really the only thing keeping network television alive. Anything live, yeah, or like Drag Race, that yeah. kind of thing. That's Anything... why wrestling is getting so much money because wrestling produces so much live content. So they'll throw a bunch of money at it. If you have live content, you're the shit right now. What about the the um, nut joke that the audience literally lost their minds over? Oh, the squirrel playing with his nuts when he yeah. Won. I feel like that's such a common yeah. thing now like it's so played out but it's funny that the audience at that time like it was so fresh to them they literally lost their minds <laughs> yeah <laughs> so the first half of weekend update ends and we go to a uh, commercial it's for germisol roll-on house deodorant radner owns a house it's kind of stinky from what she cooked the night before in comes newman and curtain who bring in a giant roll of roll-on home deodorizer um, <laughs> i love this kind of comedy. Lorraine Newman was so serious with this four foot roll on deodorant. <laughs> yeah, I was I was good with this. It's so funny. I love this like absurdist deadpan comedy where they're just like genuinely happy to have this product. Oh my god, and they're just going around and they're rolling it on things together. So I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> Great parody. Big hit. Loved it. Like even if the roll on had been like, you know, a foot long, it wouldn't have been funny. It's just that it's so fucking large, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, could you imagine? Then we come back to Weekend Update, where uh, Buck Henry, appearing as Henry Zuckerman, which is his actual birth name, talks about the uh, Roman Catholic Church and, and different doctrines around, uh, I think it was masturbation, actually. Chevy sits behind him and makes faces and uh, mocks him. I, I didn't like this. I've never liked this. I think this is the third time we've had to watch it. I, I think this is just dumb. This is the first time that I thought Chevy making fun of somebody during this little instance was funny because what the guy is saying like is so ridiculous and so obviously like such a reach that I will probably do the same thing if I was sitting there and listening to somebody like spew this on air and then they go on to say I think at some point they say um something about this like not being the view of Saturday Night Live maybe that really got me yeah I just thought it was funny it makes sense this time it didn't really make sense before the the person had to be saying something that is so stupid Mm -hmm. for it to make sense I see where you're coming from I don't like the joke really Chevy does it really well and that is almost uh, it's almost annoying that he does it so well. I, I thought it was a bit of a uh, retread, but I mean, come on, it's pretty obvious that I'm boned up for Chevy. I, I'm just loving everything he's doing, even when I don't like the jokes. Just fucking give me more, man. So this little segment is unique in the fact that this is the first time uh, a, a SNL host appeared on Weekend Update. That's cool. I didn't notice that or know it, but uh, I dig it. Why not? Um, And then our top story. Alan Zweibel is the chairman for the Committee of Dead People. Um, He basically plays a corpse uh, and obviously doesn't repeat what Chevy is uh, saying. And then he falls over. No Garrett. Give Garrett his thing back. I don't like this. Stop (laughs) trying to give me this other guy. (laughs) Big miss. No laughs. Don't. uh, And you, you were getting a laugh out of me every time. Doing the same thing. Every time. I was laugh for laugh for laugh. Nothing. I don't know, like, where my brain was, but I wrote unlaughed for this one. (laughs) So bad you unlaughed. Good Lord. And we come to Citizen Kane 2, and this one is uh, Michael O'Donohue uh, wrote this one. It's the first one ever in black and white. 
and it's uh, just picking up where Citizen Kane left off. Uh, Lorraine Lorraine Newman, as a nurse, tells uh, Buck Henry that Citizen Kane's last words were not Rosebud, but it was Henri. And they investigate this Henri, and the investigation takes them to Chevy Chase, who flashes back. So... Citizen Kane, or Charles Foster Kane, as played by Dan Aykroyd, actually creates the news by shooting people. And uh, Tom Schiller is Henri, and he brings in newspapers and headlines of the shooting. Garrett Morris is a food delivery guy, and we sort of jump back and forth in time with Chevy Chase telling the story. And he's got a fake mustache on that's absolutely hilarious. Chevy Chase, Newman, and Henry actually uh, crack at the end of the (laughs) sketch. (laughs) Um, and I have some thoughts on that I'll, I'll share in a minute. This was a long and intricate build for a very stupid, goofy punchline. I really liked it, and I thought the black and white made it – it shows how timeless black and white is because we didn't have a – there was no 70s vibe whatsoever. This looked like it could have been shot yesterday. I'm really interested in what you guys have to say about this one. I loved it. As soon as I saw the black and white, I immediately called that it was Citizen Kane. Uh, so that was fun for me. My favorite line was, not even Pat, safe and weird murder spree by Dan Aykroyd. I literally howled. This had me, like, crying laughing. I really, uh, what an ambitious sketch indeed. Uh, and th- I think they mostly pulled it off. There was, uh, it was well paced. It never dragged too much. They uh, they kept it on its toes. You know, not everything landed. And maybe, you know, was it a smidge too long? Yeah, maybe. But I was never bored. I was interested in the whole thing. Uh, I thought it was silly enough. The gags were silly enough. But most of all, most importantly of all for sure, everybody in the sketch brought it they really with their performances in my opinion uh crucial with the lesser cast with lesser people uh this doesn't go anywhere this uh this needed these talents to make it work now chase newman and henry break at the end why do you guys think they laughed because i i have a theory but kind of wonder if you guys do Uh, i don't have one i think they were laughing at the audience reaction which was basically four people laughing really hard and nobody else laughing. <laughs> I can't wait to watch it again now with that. Yeah, I, I, it's, I mean, it's a great sketch. And this is, uh, as far as I understand it, this is quintessential Michael O'Donohue business. Um, and I think we, we, yeah, we get to see Michael O'Donohue in a bit with his other type of humor. So, yeah. And so now we jump to the Muppets in the Land of Gorch. I have been very hard on the Muppets since the beginning. And I said, okay, here comes the Muppets. I'm going to watch this with an open mind, fresh start, clean slate. This one's about Muppets and sex toys. I was done. Um, This was garbage. Sorry. I wish this never happened. Like, what was this? It wasn't funny. I was literally disgusted, and I feel like I'm not easily disgusted. I was very disgusted by this. Yeah, it's gross. They're killing us. They're killing us with these. And, like, I know the writers don't want to write them. Uh, so, it, you know, I feel like it's just contractual obligation, time-filling stuff for everybody. Saturday Night Live, at this point in season one, I think it's pretty cool television. Like, people are with it, or they're getting with it at this point. You know, I know that the, the Elliot Gould episode will go on to win an Emmy. 
but I, I'm sure that hasn't happened yet because we're only a, a few weeks away from that. The show's got eyes on it. Everybody's suffering through this. Um, so then we have a, uh, it's a re-airing of the Triple Track Razor. This was from episode one. Um, I have nothing else to say about it, but in the first episode, I said it was Al Franken playing the caveman, and the IMDb says it's Al Franken, but I was watching it pretty close, and I don't think that is Al Franken. I could be wrong. I 100% did not notice. And so now we go to Tony Basil, and we've already seen Tony Basil on Saturday Night Live as part of the Lockers. She's also got a, a choreography credit for doing something on the Lily Tomlin episode. She sings the old Glenn Miller song, Wham! I loved it. It was giving me gay energy. Her dancing was entertaining. Her shoes was dope. She's hot. She just has good energy. I absolutely loved it. She's so fun for me. Was she the one that was like the black and white clown? Yeah. Yeah, that was her. I love her. I wish I was her. I literally wish I was her. I would surprise no one that knows me super well that I uh, like Tony Basil just fine. The 80s one-hit wonder to be an accomplished choreographer, obviously a great singer, and I thought this was an, uh, an awesome performance. I loved it. I certainly, sure as heck, preferred it by leaps and bounds more than the first musical performance of the evening. This, this one's for me. I loved it. I've watched it maybe 25 times since then, this exact performance, over and over again. <laughs> and I even consulted a choreographer who's uh, who works with us sometimes on Lion's Den to ask, like, because I was blown away by the dancing. I don't know dancing at all. She said that for that level, it's not like knock you on your ass, but it's it's pretty good stuff. And uh, to do it all in those shoes was uh, was pretty amazing apparently yeah i mean i'm not i don't, I don't know a lot of dancing mm-hmm. i i have i used back in the day i used to watch randy jackson's uh, america's next best dance crew and i thought that was a really entertaining show for you know some, something to put on while i ate spaghetti or something but uh, that's about as much as i know about dance but gosh what you know the old saying i, I sure know what i like and I liked this. Yeah, loved it, loved it. And and I was got I got really pissed off for a moment or two that the Tony Basil is only known by the the average viewer as a one hit wonder from the '80s. People with one tenth of her talent that are you know absolute superstars. She's uh you know she's more if she comes along a smidge later then she's a bigger star because she's that's this is she the her whole thing is Paula Abdul's shtick. Paula Abdul's shtick is that she's just. She's a short choreographer, but but I mean, Paula Abdul can't really sing. Tony Basil can actually sing, but I mean, let's be honest, Paula Abdul's a fantastic dancer and choreographer, but, you know, because she came along looking as she did with the songs that she did in the music video era, Tony Basil just didn't come along in the music video era. This supplants Gil Scott Heron's uh, Johannesburg as my favorite musical performance to date, barring Art Garfunkel. Um, auto mechanic bedtime story. Dan Aykroyd tells his daughter Debbie a bedtime story, which is basically his day at the garage, working at the garage. She keeps interrupting him with more common fairy tale things, and he uh, he tries to relate them to the story. I don't know much about cars, but from what I hear, Dan Aykroyd was super big on researching this sort of stuff for his sketches, and it sure sounded like he knew what he was talking about. As Radner goes to bed, she asks inf- uh, pretty intricate information about wheel alignments, which means all along she He's been listening to what her dad says. I thought this was not particularly funny, but I found it extremely touching. Yeah, it's a sweet one-note sketch. Uh, Gilda, again, really another showcase for her, to be honest. Uh, I'm really, you know, you're going to ask me later, who's your favorite, uh, who's the star of this episode? And I'm going to have a hard time with that. Uh, Because, I mean, I think this is, again, another terrific showcase for her acting, even though the jokes aren't really there. I mean, it's a one-joke 
sketch. Yeah, I agree with that. I am really enjoying Gilda throughout this episode. Uh, she was just cute. She was good. She was doing exactly what I wanted her to do in this sketch. Um, and Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, it did sound like he knew what he was talking about. Like, if he didn't, I would have no idea. I mean, sure Dan Aykroyd, if, correct me if I'm wrong, Dan Aykroyd is a renowned uh, strange person. So I would not be surprised at all to know that he, like, would, for a five-minute sketch, would know how to disassemble and reassemble a Buick. Yeah, he's apparently got one of these memories where he can read something and, and it stays there forever. I wish it was him. He's so cute. Yeah, and, and, and I don't know if Debbie, I can't remember offhand if Debbie comes back, but Gilda does sort of bring back Judy Miller, who is a little girl that sort of runs her own fake TV show. We'll see that later. But uh, this sort of struck me as an early version of Judy. I just want to bring up Mad TV for a second. I don't, sure. I assume Mad TV was not out at this point. No, no. They no, will go on to create a character that I think is based off this later. So then we go to a drug PSA. This is just a quick one. Chevy Chase rolls a joint, ties off his arm, and tries to inject himself with the joint. Um, and they say that's why it's called dope. Quick filler, not... I didn't find it funny. No, I didn't find it funny either. Chevy's a good roller, though. He, the way he zipped up that paper, man, I don't roll joints that well. He was, that was smooth. He, he's done that before. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think it was funny. Now we go to uh, a Gary Weiss film. I called it Irvington. Henry goes to Irvington, New York to find out who the people of Irvington think is the funniest in town. A uh, man at a bar sends him to a dry cleaner. The dry cleaners uh, send him to their driver named Woodeye. Woodeye says the police chief is the funniest. The chief says it's not him, and he sends him to see uh, Woody Mondelli, who uh, then sends them to uh, Lefty, and Lefty says the funniest person is a lady named Marie. Marie admits that she is truly the funniest person in town. I loved this. This is uh, this is folklore. This is great. I thought this was fantastic. This is what Albert Brooks wishes he made this. I feel like this is what he was going for um, and did not accomplish. I loved this so funny. I will disagree that it's what Albert Brooks was going for. First of all, you're absolutely right that Albert Brooks uh, does not measure up to these films. Uh, this this is just better. But Albert Brooks's films are about him. They're very. I find them very narcissistic, and I don't think that's what's going on here at all. So uh, I really think it's a different kind of approach and vision. Albert Brooks is making movies for himself. I find this is somebody who wants to make something interesting and albert brooks wanted to look in a mirror with his movies but anyway i loved it i mean this is what he wishes he made and the fact that people actually enjoyed it well yeah in comparison to what he has given us on snl okay yeah and from a purely like i want people to like it well of course and i did give one or two little bonus points for buck henry in the middle of winter to go stand around he's the host he didn't have to do that Standing in the middle of winter in some New York town in the middle of nowhere. This was great. Um, this was great. This was fantastic. Yeah. We then go to Howard Shore and his all B band, John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd. It's definitely an early version of the Blues Brothers, and some places even credited as the Blues Brothers. They're dressed like bees and they sing a song, Belushi, some musical chops there and some energy. Best part, uh, Aykroyd on the harmonica is great. Um, I'm not a big fan of the Blues Brothers. Uh, I'm, I'm sitting through this with an open mind. That might change. I sort of saw this as a good musical bit showing a different side of the cast. If they didn't have a sketch to air, they may as well do this. Huge, huge, huge props uh, for Howard Shore in the background dressed as a beekeeper. <laughs> Bee Belushi. I love him at this point. I'm starting to 
to develop a crush uh, on Belushi, which is surprising because I've talked so much shit about him. But honestly, I'm starting to develop a little crush on him here. I think uh, his musical talent is underrated. Like, I feel like when I hear about him, I don't hear about his musical abilities. You know what I mean? I know what you mean right now, but I think we will. I think it'll be more of a topic of conversation going forward. Okay, well, he's my crush, so I don't know. Okay, not unlike the uh, Bill Withers performance earlier, you know, I can recognize talent, but this is not for me. It's just not. I'm not the demo here. I don't like the blues. I take medicine to keep them away. I don't need no blues. I love the bees. (laughs) I like the bees, but this isn't about the bees. This is about Belushi and Aykroyd and some prototype blues brothers. I don't like it then, and I don't like it in its beta. Well, I wish I had it right now. One thing I... One thing that does bother me, it, it gets, I don't remember being so obnoxious with the Blues Brothers, but I don't like Belushi just falling around like that for the sake of falling. Like, there's no artistry there. I, I don't know how to put it, but, you know, he's just kind of, like, throwing himself on the floor with no rhythm. I don't know. I'm all out of That makes it even funnier to me. Okay. No, it doesn't for me. I'm with you on that one, Keith. Our next bit is uh, Michael O'Donohue. Buck Henry introduces impressionist or impersonator Mike uh, O'Donohue, Michael O'Donohue, who is doing his impression of uh, television host Mike Douglas getting needles into his eyes. O'Donohue screams and gyrates on the floor. This is more great Michael O'Donohue stuff, but uh, I mean, it's it's definitely like an acquired taste or maybe just a complete thing of tastes. I just like the random oddness to it yeah i thought it was excellent i uh this is probably this might be the most i laughed at the entire episode um yeah it was quick it was to the point shit i loved it it gave me quite a laugh i only discovered uh this kind of joke maybe like two years ago um when someone does comes up on the stage to like do an impression but it's so absurdist and ridiculous it's still so funny to me i love it and I would consider this my first time seeing that. Our next uh, next bit, it's the last sketch of the night. It's uh, sort of a PSA for the American Constipation Society. Buck Henry is constipated, and he won't go for a nightly walk with his wife. Uh, and the rest of the sketch is just a bunch of euphemisms about constipation uh, involving Curtin, Chevy Chase, Gilda Radner, Garrett Morris. Um, they all get a big kick out of the fact that Buck Henry is constipated, but Henry is kind of self-conscious about it. <laughs> this makes the point to me... <laughs> I was like, you know, in reality, constipation can be a very deadly condition or caused by one. But uh, yet it's always the, uh, there's all, even in the commercials, they kind of make a joke out of it. Um, this was fun wordplay, but it wasn't a great sketch. This was fun for me. The uh, the commercials for constipation really do be like that. They're always making like some sort of subtle joke out of it. Gilda couldn't stop laughing near the end of this. I don't know if anybody noticed, but she started to lose it at the very end. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, you know what, I, I'm kind of in the middle between y'all on this. I uh, thought it was fun. Again, I was most focused on Gilda Radner because uh, as D said it's hard not to be in a situation like that but uh, you know it was it wasn't the strongest sketch of the night by any means a bit middle of the road uh, at the end on purpose I think and then we're at the ending of the episode at this point in time the end we are recording this during pride month so at the end when they said everyone here is gay I literally <laughs> popped off you don't even know (laughs) it's true she did yeah it's fun Uh, i'm looking forward to our summaries 
Keith. Yeah, I think that was a reference to something. Like, I don't think that was just a random thing he threw out, but again, he very well may have. But yeah, the cast seemed to enjoy it. Like, there didn't seem to be much. It wasn't mean spirited or anything. It was just something he threw out. And it was I just chuckle. funny. So let's go into our epilogue. Buck Henry will be back many, many, many times. This is the only time for Bill Withers. He retired from full-time music in 1985 due to a disdain of the music industry and record executives in particular. Is that why Bill was withering? (laughs) That's right. No, this guy, he was like... Disdain by the record-buying public for Bill Withers' albums. He took a stand, and he was like 32 when he became famous, so like he just didn't give a shit. He was like, I got a ton of money, and uh, I've written like four songs that are legendary. I'm done, man. Peace. You know, he was done. And he still hung around a bit and did guest spots, and he still wrote music. And I mean, Lean On Me is everywhere. Just the two of us is everywhere. I'd do that, man. I'd cash out. If I had a hit and I could cash out, I would cash out in a second. If I wrote some three-minute fucking jingle and a bunch of people bought it for commercials, I would cash out so fast. Good for Mm -hmm. him for cashing out. And he he wrote four, well, three of them in particular. Like, I mean, they were just, they're everywhere, you know. Um, Like I said, I could go the rest of my life without ever hearing Lean On Me again. So, yeah, he still sporadically appeared on things. He got a ton of awards after he retired. He he didn't, like, disappear into the ether. Um, He really seemed to have had a a wonderful, uh, wonderful life. And then he, um, sadly, he passed away just last year in March. I should specify it wasn't COVID-related. But he was another one. And I actually thought of uh, when you said, remember how you said, Matt, in a previous episode that, like, Lou Reed is your favorite rock star's favorite rock star? Yep. Well, Bill Withers is your favorite songwriter's favorite songwriter. And Tony Basil, I, I can't guarantee if she's makes another on-screen appearance. Um, some places say yes, some places say no. She's credited in future episodes for choreography, and certainly Mickey appears quite a bit. She's still dancing. She looks exactly the same, and she moves almost exactly the same. I am happy to know that she's still doing stuff, and I'm definitely mm-hmm. going to be looking into that. Let's discuss the music, if you guys want to do numbers or not. Bill Withers. Yeah, it's not for me. It's fine. It's not for me. If I was, if somebody said, rate this performance... I'd give it a six out of ten because I can tell it's not it's not just some average ass performance. You know, it's a hit. He's a good singer. But eh, this is not for me, so I'm not giving it more than that. I'm not gonna rate it on a number scale, but boy did I enjoy that. I really liked it. I'm more akin to Matt, but uh again I, I would never fault anyone for liking this. You know, it's not it's not like, you know, right said Fred or something like that. This is uh this is good music. Tony Basil. Tony baby. You're doing good. I love it. I love everything she has given us so far. Yeah, this was great. This was the superior musical performance of the night for me by a country mile. I agree. This, uh, like I said, favorite favorite so far. And it's not quite music, but it is music. Um, the uh, the 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 bees, the Howard Shore and his all bee band. I liked it, but uh, you know, we're gonna see a lot more from these guys. I get the people like it, but it's not music to my ears. I, I could have done without this. I'd rather these guys uh, bring the funny, but I guess it's fine that they want to explore their other interests. Some of some of us can only have one dream, but uh, these guys want to be both comedically gifted and musically gifted. So I guess they get to have two dreams, uh, which is fine. It's not for me, and I don't like these guys do it on the show but i mean that that that's probably just me also be she can have a valentine's card from me (laughs) 
All right, let's talk about our host tonight. I thought Buck Henry was great, but I think he was sort of hampered by bad material. I just didn't think this was great. He gave it his all, and I, I didn't get the vibe that much of the cast were really given that they're all this time. I loved the monologue. I really liked uh, Citizen Kane, too. Uh, he integrated into the cast extremely well, and I could tell he was, without knowing the man, I could really get the sense he was having a great time. Um, the big thing here is that I, I would like people to watch, uh, people in charge of the show these days, to watch the show as a friendly reminder that the host doesn't have to be someone who's just out pushing a hit movie or who has a name that will bump the ratings because this was solid and uh, Buck Henry will go on to set the bar for someone who's really just a good host without promotion. Yeah, I thought he was fine. I mean, it, he kind of blended in. He, he didn't... Uh... He didn't have a lot to work with. You're right, but you know, I mean, I mean, nothing was a home run either. This was a this whole episode for me was just it was like slightly, slightly, slightly above average. But it was on cruise control uh, quite a bit, I thought, mm-hmm. which is fine because it was it was on it was on the good side of the cruise control. It won't always be, I'm sure. Worst of the night. The Muppets. I can't take these Muppets. It's just it's a waste of time doesn't go anywhere it's the you know the jokes the jokes aren't fresh nothing is new the muppets literally disgusted me this time i'm not turning on the show to be physically repulsed and i was repulsed ma'am i was repulsed muppets was dreadful um honorable mention to samurai futaba which i still just don't like and probably probably never will muppets i gave them a blank slate and this is what i got couldn't do it disgusted me let's make things happy again let's go to uh, best of the night matt i appreciate the ambition and what was required from the cast especially the not ready for primetime players when it comes to citizen kane 2 i'm gonna give citizen kane 2 my sketch of the night i was torn between uh citizen kane 2 and uh henry's monologue and what i actually went with which was the thing that almost had me rolling on the floor it was the germasol roll-on deodorant commercial germasol 100 percent. i have to change my answer to that i <laughs> laughed so much citizen kane 2 was so good um so your star of the night uh d uh my star of the night i am gonna go chevy i was really happy with his performance throughout this Matt? i am going to echo d's sentiment actually i come to snl to laugh. I know that there are some bittersweet sketches and there are some broader uh, sketches about characters or perhaps even feeling, especially in the early goings on. I mm. come to laugh. And in this episode, despite Gilda Radner's uh, exemplary acting across several sketches, this was really tough for me because I really think Gilda Radner was amazing this episode. But at the end of the day, I watch SNL to laugh not to see an actress highlight reel which mm-hmm. she provided but chevy was more for me yeah we have another sweep here um yeah i also went with chevy you know i mean the, the big star of the night for me was tony basil but i've actually set specific rules for myself on this i almost passed but that's another thing i said i'd never do but uh, chase stood out more than the others um, I really enjoyed his performance in the uh, Citizen Kane 2, which is actually probably my favorite performance of Chevy thus far. It was so good. He, yeah, it really was. Yeah, And just thinking, if they taped it live, he had to get that mustache and hat and everything on pretty quickly. So, yeah, stuff like that. All right, and our overall 
our overall grade. I'll jump in with this one. All in all, despite some really good stuff, this was an off week for me, and I felt there was just a bit too much filler and a bit too much relying on longer sketches. Now, Henry Buck Henry is the third row, the third in a row of sort of a you know all-star host from the early years after uh, Candace Bergen and Elliot Gould. So I'm excited to see him back. For some reason, the actors just seemed less into it, and they seemed tired, and the material wasn't as good. Um, it's kind of felt to me like the Friday afternoon before Christmas break, if that makes sense. For some reason, despite a lot of good in this, it just didn't work for me the way other episodes have as sort of complete episodes. However, the few things that I did enjoy were were, were super silly stuff, really goofy stuff, which is which they don't always do enough of. So yeah, I enjoyed it all along. I gave this one a, a 6 out of 10. I agree with you. Everything you said, I was going to give it a 6 out of 10 as well. I thought about a 6.5, but then I thought about episodes prior to this, and it led me back to a 6. I think uh, I've already summed up kind of what I said earlier, but to reiterate, I thought this was on the the modestly good side of cruise control, and I'm not trying to freak everybody out, but 6. 6. 6. I'm shaking. Good, that makes math uh, easy for me to figure out. I'm quite so, <laughs> so our average score is a 6, and uh, the folks over at the Internet Movie Database gave this one a 7.6. It's almost perfectly in line with our... Uh, Version rate. Yeah, that's it, yeah, are you saying that, are you saying that, uh, that's our, that with inflation that we're about on target? Yeah, we're actually almost perfectly on target. Yeah, I haven't Ooh. done the math, but looking at our previous ones, we're, we're pretty close. Right on. We're usually, we usually average about 1.5 below what IMDb does. So this is a test case for our, our conversion rate. All in all, this was a fun episode, and it was a very fun episode for us to record. Agreed. I am so delighted you guys could, uh, we could all get together again on this one. By our standards, it's been a long time since we've done one of these. I love to be here. See so the next one again real, 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 real soon. Bring it yeah. immediately. We'll be back next time with episode 11 featuring Peter Cook and Dudley Moore with musical guest star, can't wait to talk to Matt about this one, Neil Sedaka. But until then, I'll be cursing the demon gods who have stifled Tony Basil's fame here in SNL.